Hey, and welcome to another episode of Dr. Me First. It's a married to an alpha female episode today. Hot dog. I asked him if he wanted to bring us in on the introduction. <laughs> I said, no, it's it's your show. I'm just I'm just like this uh, continual running guest, you know, that they, they keep bringing back. Yeah. So there you go. Dr. Wiseman and Mr. Wiseman here for another alpha. V- We've been doing these about once a month. I think that's yeah. a good pace for us. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I enjoy it. I appreciate it. I've gotten some feedback from a couple of you listeners out there that you like it. So we're actually going to give Craig some more time to talk about Down on the Farm. It is our most listened to segment. Oh, really? Well, I yes. didn't know that. Yes. We throw that into things Craig didn't yeah, know. Yeah, things Craig doesn't know. Then we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. And then tips for being married to an alpha female. And yeah, we're going to do this right. It's our last alpha female episode of 2020. I almost said, thank God. Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, thank God to be wrapping up 2020. Yeah, the year. Exactly. The year, yeah. So, yeah. So, sit back, relax. Hopefully, you're driving in your car or got some earbuds in and can enjoy us shooting the shit a little bit. I feel confident people could learn something. <laughs> if not, <laughs> at least they'll get a good laugh. All yeah. right. Here we go. Let's get into this episode. All right. Well, let's hear about what's happening down on the farm. So uh, this uh, oh last week or so, uh, we've been doing uh, we've been laying pipe, putting putting tile in the ground. Good thing we have the explicit rating on here. <laughs> yes, yes. We've been putting uh, a drainage tile in the ground. We use that uh, with an RTK system, meaning the oh meaning we have the highest level of accuracy that we can have as far as with the machine or our tile plow that actually puts the pipe into the ground. Yeah. Talk a little bit about RTK. You need to break it down for people a little bit more. Um, like uh, if you're using, you're using uh, like WAS, that's like the ground level and RTK is like. I think like you got to go simpler. It is the GPS mechanism. Of which we use yes. to locate, you know, our antennas and where, where our equipment is within a field. The antennas that collect the GPS data. Uh, we have a system that uses what's called a virtual base station, and it it uses three other base stations within a oh uh, maybe like a sixty mile radius, and they triangulate to pinpoint exactly where we are based off of all three, collecting and reading off all three, and then uh, RTK is supposed to give you pass to pass as you're going back and forth across on top of the ground. Uh, sub-inch accuracy, pass-to-pass. Whenever you take that accuracy, though, and you turn it from going horizontal to vertical, it actually doubles. So you to actually put pipe in the ground and and tile, you have to have RTK so that you're off no more than about an inch all the time, um, just so water will flow downhill and not run backwards in the pipes. All right, so I think to... You jumped a little bit ahead. So explain to, we're country bumpkins. Yeah. Okay. So country bumpkins explaining to the city folk, <laughs> what is tiling and why why would you be putting pipes in a field? Okay. So as uh, farming, we collect a lot of data and um, our biggest uh, source of data is probably our yield maps. And whenever you 
go over a field and you look at your yield maps, you kind of ground truth things. And so you walk out in the field and you, okay, well, here's a soil type, the same soil type over there had a much better yield than this. We spread the same amount of fertilizer over the whole field. It got the same rain. Yeah, it got, it got the, the same, same rain. Spray. Same chemics, chemistry spray. Why would this yield less? And usually what we find on our soils here in southwestern Indiana is that we had um, like low spots that just hold too much water. And then uh, essentially it's kind of like overwatering your fern on your porch. It just looks awful. And it basically docks you on your yield. You just can't yield the same. Yeah, because just like other things, like in medicine, like there is definitely too much of a good thing. And water yeah. in our neck of the woods, where other places in the country um, are always in constant need yes. of water and hydration, here in this part of our part of the world, we actually get an abundant amount, and our soils tend to hold, hold it. Yeah, we have more extra. clay. Yeah. And so, what I hear you saying, and from what I know, being the farm wife, is that you look at your yield maps, your yield maps... They're kind of cool. They're like stoplights. Red, yellow. Red, red yellow. Orange, green, orange yellow. Yeah. And red is typically your highest yield center. Or red are your worst yield centers. Yeah. Green is going to be your highest. Um, and it's a satellite view looking down on top of the yes. field. And then you look at those spots. You walk out in the field. You guys dig around. Sometimes you talk to consultants, agricultural um, folks. And you try to figure out, okay, was this a systems error, like something yeah. that we did? Is this a mechanical breakdown? Is this just wrong plant in the wrong place? Uh, like, for instance, along field edges that are next to tree lines, they're almost always red because yeah. of the shading yeah. from the trees. Doesn't get as much sunlight. Sunlight. They're competing for nutrients. You have more uh, animals like deer walk in the first yep. six or eight rows and eat. And they eat a eat bunch too. So you know kind of what's happening there. But it, it is interesting in some of your oldest fields, and you've mentioned this to me before, where your grandfather and great-grandfather used a horse and a plow, you can see those lines still like how you got how they turn the soil up, even planting today, um, how that still is impacting yes. those yield maps that you're using yes. now. And so of course, all the crops are out of the field now. So this is the time when you do field improvements. Yes. And so tiling, and this is my non, I mean, I guess I'm agricultural. I'm oh, sciencey. Yeah. Yeah. So this is my take on it. And then you can fill in the blanks is when we need additional drainage, but we don't need like a ditch. Like we still want the water to percolate through the surface. We still want the nutrients to get into the ground. We just don't want it. You don't want it sitting in that base layer and oversaturating those soils. Yeah, it only takes out the uh, the excess water. The, you know, the soil will hold so much, and then the rest is just excess, and it just helps remove the excess that the soil will turn loose. Right, because I think there's some people out there who are like, oh my gosh, what are you doing to the soil? You're draining it. It's going to be a desert. But it's a percentage. Yes. So it will continue to hold the, the... It'll always hold what it'll hold. It'll hold what it'll hold. But tiling will take off like the overage, that yes. percentage over it. And it, that's that's a that's a, a very good point, honey. And this is where things get so uh, blurred in people's minds. Some people think, well, you're, 
you're dumping all this water really fast and but at the same time you're also improving yield so that there's more food supply and so there's clearly an obvious trade-off well and that's why i mentioned that this is under the ground as well instead of you guys just digging ditches because there's a lot of talk about nitrate leaching and mostly off sur- surface and it's water. off surface water and so yeah. what you guys are doing is actually putting tile under the ground mm-hmm. so that the earth works as its filter mm-hmm. to get those nitrates those um, micronutrients and then it's it percolates through and then through the tile, then removes any kind of excess water to yeah. drain out. Most of our tiles put in somewhere right around a minimum of 30 inches deep, uh, meaning it has 30 inches of cover. And then if we have like a four inch tile, you know, the, the, the bottom of that's at 34 inches deep. I think that's a good point, too, because many people will have drainage in their yards, like to drain from their house yeah. or that sort of thing. Um, and that's typically very shallow. Yeah, maybe it's a like foot or less. Six, you know, like yeah, six drains. to 12 yeah. inches get with gutter drains. So we're talking closer two to three feet yes. under the surface. With yes, here. we have to have a tractor and we have a, a pool tractor. We have to hook up to it to help help our tractor, not because our tractor doesn't have the horsepower to pull the plow through the ground but more of a traction issue, uh, just getting more rubber to the ground between the two tractors and uh, a weight issue, you know, keeping enough on the ground. Counterbalance. To help pull it. And so it doesn't slip. Because when you're going 30 inches below the ground, it's amazing how much the ground fights you. Yeah, it pulls. It pulls pretty good. Yeah. And so talking about the actual tile, um, it is black, Black pipe, semi-permanent yeah. pipe or, or semi-porous pipe. It's yeah. got really tiny holes. It's it. not PVC pipe. No, it's not uh, like clay tiles that your grandfather used. I know you guys dig those yeah. up quite a bit. Um, and it comes in these big, huge spools. Yeah, I think there's there's over three thousand feet in the spool. Yeah, on the four inch. Anyhow. And then talk a little bit because I think it's cool the mathematics. You first. Decide where you're going to put a main line in. Yeah. And then you do smaller extending branches off of that. So talk a little bit about the math math calculation that goes into determining like the diameter of your pipe and then how you decide where to place what. The drainage companies will give you these um, kind of like a mini, mini calculator. It's almost like a slide rule. And uh, you can figure out what kind of drainage coefficient, how much water you want to drain in uh, 24 hours um, and then based off that you kind of figure up how many acres you have in an area I can either do that with my GPS system by driving around it or we'll have a, a wheel and just walk around it and kind of do the math that way and then uh, we'll kind of get an idea how many acres we're going to drain in one area into what we call a main the main is your outlet that drops the water into the ditch it's a bigger pipe usually, so it'll be like, a, oh, for what the size of acres we're doing currently, it'd be like a six inch. Some people, if you had more acres, you might have an eight inch or a 10 inch or where the ground is flat. Places in uh, Minnesota, they might have a, a 20 inch. It just kind of depends on on how many acres you're draining. Well, and your profile, your, yeah. your uh, acreage profile. We, we've been putting in a four inch tile. We'll, we'll run a six inch main just straight up into the field for maybe, oh, a couple hundred feet. And then we'll turn around and dig up spots along the edge of that 
and we'll put uh, connector tees in it, and then we'll run out 30 feet, 60 feet, 90 feet. So every 30 feet, we have a tile line running through the field. It kind of looks like a Christmas tree. Yeah. Like the arm yeah. shoot off. And uh, we'll do that to uh, basically um, get it to where it's got every 30 feet. And then they call it pattern tiling because there's a, a pattern to it that every so many feet you have tile running through the field. And pattern tiling is something um, like before you just did spot Yes. Tiling, yes. where you just hit the wet spots. And yes. now that you guys have your own equipment and you feel more comfortable doing this, um, you're doing pattern tiling um, to improve the whole field system. And, and this is a newer thing in yeah. agriculture as well. Probably been the last uh, 15 to 20 years where people started to do this. Like my grandfather, they would tile through like one single line of tile through one wet spot and they called it good and walked away. And, um, you know, men before... And I say men because that's that's what these people were when they put in the clay tile. Those were yeah. those guys were because they had to dig it. They had to dig it. They had to put it in. And it's clay tile. Uh, I yes, mean, it's clay, clay piece pieces of piece tile, piece. piece by piece. You just set it together, and then you turn around, throw the dirt on it, and help it. Hoped it was together good enough that it it stayed even. The water ran through it, and uh, I couldn't imagine digging. You know, a thousand no. feet of that. You know, going down. 30 and those guys didn't go down 30 inches those guys usually went down deeper than that they might have put that stuff in 40 inches deep well how you know the guy who had to be in that trench digging all day that was a man mm -hmm. much more than what what i am today i'll admit that quickly mm -hmm. but uh they they didn't run many lines because of all how much work it was when they got plastic tile then they still continued to run fewer lines because of well this is what we've always done it's just now it's much simpler. We have a machine to help run it. And then guys started to pattern tile later on. And uh, the benefits are really quite amazing how much you can improve your yield. Well, and you guys still have some of those clay tiles that still work to this day. Yeah, we've dug them up before. Um, now and then you'll get like a tile hole where uh, some of that clay breaks and, and it just makes a hole in the field and you'll dig it down. You'll you'll figure out what's going on and you just patch it up. We've got some that run the whole field drains north-south, and there's some clay running east-west. And you think, well, I don't know where it's going. It's got water running through it, so it's clearly working. And you just patch it up, and you cover it back up, and you, you just let it be. Yeah, It's pretty cool when um, we find stuff like that on Wiseman Farms. I think oh, it's yeah. pretty cool. Oh, yeah, it is. Because uh, you'll find, like, that clay tile, or sometimes you'll find, like, a dinner fork or something. And it just kind of pays homage to... Like our family and the people before us who uh, worked this ground. Yeah. And my, my father, my grandfather, my father was born in 1955 and my grandfather came to the farm in around 1950 and dad told me, he said, I don't remember your father or his, his dad ever putting in that clay tile like that. And so he said, you know, that stuff's got to be from prior before. to the 1950s. So we're looking at stuff that's at least 70 years old in the ground, still functioning properly. Yeah which is pretty awesome. The other thing too, that we probably want to talk about when it comes to tiling and drainage, it's to help improve yields. It's to help get the water off to have better plant quality. Um, doesn't it also help with compaction type issues and just overall soil profile? Yes, it helps. It helps with your compaction and your ability to um, do field, um, any kind of infield um, being timely as far as infield operations, because, if you have the ground tiled 
it what it will do is you'll be able to get back into the field a couple days sooner you'll be able to plant a few days sooner you'll be able to harvest sooner you don't have um, wet spots in the field and then you don't compact it uh, it just makes everything work so yeah. much better so i always think it's cool when you guys do this and improving um you know the the health of the fields it's been neat to watch you guys um i remember the first year and the learning that oh, yeah. went around oh, this yeah. oh my gosh there was there was a lot of learning there was a lot of of yelling at yes. each other yes. <laughs> What are you doing? I don't know. I think I'm doing it right, you know. There's there's been times now that you guys have gone back and fixed those early tile lines. Yeah. yeah. And that's so, part of it, learning. Yeah. So yeah. Anything else happening down on the farm? I mean, that's the big thing right now. Yeah, that's the big thing. Here at the end of the month I've got a bunch of grain, I've got a hole. Yeah. Um, just part of it. Those are contracted bushels that we've got to to haul in and we'll get those moved in here before too long. Yep. And then into your stuff as far as you turn all the numbers and books into the accountant. And then we really, yeah. really know how the farm did this year. Mm-hmm. We th- we think we're in the black. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's the idea too with anything like this is, is you don't want to be, you know, you want to, you want to be as close to even as you can so that you don't have to pay a ridiculous amount of taxes. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's your agriculture 101 for today. Yes. I'm excited to find your next down on the farm update in January. <laughs> All right, let's talk about things Craig doesn't know. <laughs> I love this segment. Oh. I love it so much. I, as we were talking about getting ready for for this podcast, I was like, I don't I don't really think that there's too much. And then I started making notes. And as you'll note, Craig, this is the largest section right yeah, now. Yeah, I, I saw it kept getting bigger. I noticed there was a lot of writing. There's a lot of writing on there. here now. But I I want to preference the things Craig doesn't know as a positive segment. Like this is, and I say that in the fact because I was recently interacting with a female physician who she's wanting to start a coaching business and she had asked a question about like, okay, I need to get started. Who here has a business plan that they will share with me because my husband says I have to do one before I start a business. Mm. And my comment back to her was, with all the love and kindness in your heart, tell him to stick it up his ass. <laughs> yes, that's married to an alpha. Married to an alpha. Pretty and, much straight on. And I and again, like I'm saying this because I have had my own evolution in this. Like when we first got married, it was very much in my head like he needs to know everything that is going on. I need to know everything that is going on with him because that is what equals a good relationship. When in actuality, now let's see, we've been married eleven plus years. I realize that you don't need to know everything, and I don't need to know everything about you, I, and the component of trust comes in. I think that that part picked up on me whenever you told me at some point, will you please quit talking about the farm? <laughs> and I was like, well, this is what I do today. Well, I think, and I think maybe that has come with furthering in careers, furthering in our business as well, is that... We chose each other as life partners and not business partners. Yes. Yes. And I, I think that's been really pivotal for us. Uh, I remember specifically when I started the business back in 2015, the coaching business, you know, I would ask you questions and you're like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. And I was kind of like, well, you're supposed to know what to do. You need to help me. And then I realized I was like, no, he doesn't know what to do because he's never ran a successful coaching business. I've never done this. Yeah. 
And so um, even about money stuff, remember those in the early days where I'm like, oh, I don't know if I should spend money about this and da, 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 da. And your vi- advice was always like, is this going to help you? Yeah, <laughs> pretty simple and cut dry to me. But I mean, it is good that we we do bounce things off each other. Yeah. But we don't evidently ask each other permission in our different businesses. Like you'll tell me about stuff with the farm. Like, hey, you know, you guys have been rolling around building a different grain setup. Yeah. Storage for a couple of years now, and I'm I just looked at you the other day, and I was like, yeah, you gonna do that? Like, is this gonna help you? I threw your own <laughs> words back at yeah. you. Yeah, you did. And so um, so the segment of things Craig doesn't know, like I said, I just want to put out there um, because I just want to be transparent and tell people, like, we don't talk about every stink in detail, and it's okay. Did you buy me a grain bin for Christmas? I threatened to buy you a grain <laughs> bin because you guys took so long getting through harvest that I was like, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Because with this, things Craig doesn't know is... I really had to give myself the permission to do it my way. Even though I'm an alpha female and like, you know, I have that in me, there's still a small part that comes up that I think every person feels that they doubt themselves. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's very natural. And so if you tell me like, oh, this is going to be okay, somehow we have some like, quote unquote, proof. But really, like I said, I think it comes down to that trust factor, like trusting myself that Mm -hmm. I can make good, responsible decisions, trusting you. That like, I don't need to know everything that's going on in your life and where you are 100% of the day. Um, so I think I think it's the trust factor that has really built in that. So with that being said, things Craig doesn't know. Let's start with number one. Do you know the Christmas presents the kids are getting? I have some ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the catalogs and what they've marked, if that's, if that's any help. Yeah. So this will air after Christmas, uh, I believe so, the Monday after Christmas. So we can talk about it. I don't think I, our kids listen to our I, podcast, but no, in I, case they but do. But I do feel that most fathers, there would be a fair majority in my boat, I think. That has a foggy idea. Yeah. some some Not too clear. Not but, very clear, but a pretty good, you know, some inklings as to what it should be. Do you want to guess? Okay. Um, Camden. What is Camden getting? I think, I think you got them all plushy. Yes. Uh, some kind of a plushie. Now, I don't know exactly what the character would be. Okay. I can't remember either because I've wrapped them. But they'll be fighting over those anyway. Yeah. No matter who gets yeah. what, they'll fight. Uh, mm, after that, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, Camden has really, really, really been wanting to do a YouTube channel. Yes, I know that. So, I got him a book on how to YouTube. do his own YouTube channel. And I was going to tell him he can use... The podcasting equipment. And I found a fellow entrepreneur mom who will help him do it. You're going to let him use my headset and my speaker. Aren't you? <laughs> Your microphone. Already, yes, my microphone. <laughs> oh. And then there's a few few other little things for him. I got him an outdoors um, explorer set that has like a handheld magnifier microscope type thing and some weather detecting gear and we're, we're gonna have to record our next one in very early january it sounds like to me you mean because he'll be using See, the well equipment. just so i just so the equipment is working still and i get a chance to speak is what okay. i'm thinking it'll be okay okay what about briar what do you think briar got briar guy no clue <laughs> no clue no all right the briar guy i got him uh, kind of a bunch of little different things. He really likes the glow-in-the-dark stars. So I yeah. got him a bunch of those. I got him, you mentioned the plushie. Um, I got him some books as well. 
And I also got him some, uh, like a, uh, lava create, uh, yeah. uh, volcano like set. A science set. Yeah. Science set. And then also got him a kit to make his own bouncy balls. Oh, and I got him 12 rolls of tape because, you know, yeah, he, he really loves, loves tape. tape. Yeah. So just a bunch of little things for him. All right. The sis. You know, Christmas morning for me is all about surprises. <laughs> I, I don't guess you've picked up on that yet. I, I look forward to seeing what I got you, honey. Well, that's true. I have bought all my own presents right now. Yes. So, okay. Well, the sis, she got some unicorn stuff. She's got a new matching set. She's got a lot of um, crafting stuff because she's been really in. And we found out sissy's left-handed. Yeah. Yeah, I was thoroughly surprised. Yes. So, I, I got her some left-handed scissors and, um, yeah, so that she can have, I mean, it's all that you need left-handed but anyway she got all that kind of stuff all right another thing craig doesn't know do you know the name of my new podcast that's coming out in two months no i do not know the name of it you do not know the name you don't know anything about it uh it's just gonna be you by yourself no okay okay new podcast launch coming out uh in march burnt out to badass podcast it's again me having conversations i think i didn't know the name i think you didn't say that but um, it's been really, really cool because I've been networking with a lot of alpha females outside of medicine. So I spoke with an industrial engineer, a legal consultant, a personal finance consultant, um, a uh, women-specific empowerment psychologist, and I've got a couple others on the docket. And they are specifically telling their burnout story and how they move cool. into their badassery. Yeah, it's cool. been really, really cool. So I've got five interviews under my belt right now. We'll get a few more done in January and then we will drop all uh, 12 episodes in one like one Netflix shot, yeah. drop. Yeah. So people can binge. Yeah. So you can binge and then, then I'm just going to see, I'm just going to put it out into the world and then we'll see. I mean, there's millions of other wonderful women in the world, but I want to, I want to normalize burnout in all industries. Yeah. And I really want to open up the conversation um, to more women so that if they don't identify with me as a physician, maybe they will find someone that they identify with through this podcast. And then also sharing that there are different ways to navigate the journey out of burnout. And it looks different for different people, but there are a lot of similarities. When I was in, when I was in elementary school, when I, when I taught, mm-hmm. I mean, I saw, I could see people that were. Yeah. I need to get clearly. a teacher. You're right. We could probably get a hold of some of your friends and see yeah. if they would come on. Yeah, I'm sure. Teacher, definitely. So, um, so yeah, I'm really excited about that project and going on. All right. Next thing Craig doesn't know. The new cheetah picture on the wall. I saw that the other day. Yeah. Do you know? Do you have any idea about this? Um, was that something you drew? No. No. It's more of a representation. So I read Untamed by Glennon Doyle. It's been a couple months ago. Then I reread it. And then I read it again recently for mm-hmm. the third time. And so I'm going to read to you a little bit because I don't think you have any idea about this book. But it is, it's an amazing book. It like, it makes me just like, be like, hell freaking yes, all the time. Anyway, so in her chapter, Cheetah, Glennon is talking about going to the zoo with her daughter, trying to get a better look at the zoo creatures. And she talks about when she was there, she was... Looking at um, one of the animals in there, and it was a cheetah. And so, as she was talking about with the cheetah, her daughter 
Trish says, Trish whispered to me, Mommy, she turned wild again. And that's when the zookeeper had shared facts about the cheetah and um, they were, you know, of course, feeding it or whatever. And so because before they had seen the cheetah and she just didn't look like a real like regal cheetah or anything. And she said, I nodded to Trish, keeping my eyes on Tabitha, Tabitha, which was the cheetah, as she stalked. I wished I could ask her what's happened inside of you right now. I knew what the cheetah would tell me. She said she would say. Something's off about my life. I feel restless and frustrated, and I have a hunch that everything was supposed to be more beautiful than this. I imagine fenceless, wide-open safaris or savannas. I want to run and hunt and kill. I want to sleep under an ink-black, silent sky filled with stars. It's all so real I can taste it. And then she looked back at her cage, the only home that she had ever known. She looked at the smiling zookeepers and the bored spectators, and her panting, bouncing best friend, the lab. She sighed and said, I should be grateful. I have a good life here. It's crazy to long for something that doesn't even exist. And I'd say, Tabitha, you're not crazy. You're a goddamn cheetah. (laughs) And so she uses that analogy more in her book. And I use that analogy too. I was just talking to a couple different friends and equating like my burned out stuck in the traditional system as a caged cheetah at the zoo. And every night or every two weeks, they would deliver me with my steak. And I had to like do my little performance and, you know, roar a little bit. Um, But that I was essentially caged. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, through entrepreneurship and doing my things on my own, that was me. That's me being a wild cheetah now. And at times it is harder to go chase down the gazelle and not have the delivered steak to me. And it's scarier. And the dark nights and not always having the safety, the quote unquote safety of the cage. But the picture on the wall is to remind me that I'm a goddamn cheetah. <laughs> so, there you go. I knew you had something with it. I, I saw it the other day. I, I, I thought, well, that's for something. Yeah. So, if anybody, if you haven't read the book, it's it's a really, really good book. And I'll have to post a picture of my cheetah picture on Instagram so you guys can see it. All right. Next thing Craig doesn't know. Toxic work environments. Do you know I've been talking about that? Uh, yes, your whole life. Yeah. <laughs> last, well, actually. The last seven years I've been married to Actually, you. I just got published in Indigo Blue. Oh, cool. As a entrepreneurial expert. An uh, expert, yeah. Yeah, talking about toxic work environments. And I know we were talking about this the other day that um, majority of work environments are toxic. If you break it down by the definition and the characteristics of gossip, disrespect, lack of feeling safe at work, um, and the promotion of burnout. So there you go. That's been kind of cool because I've just been saying what I've been saying, but people are listening a little bit more. All right. The last thing is, did you know that I'm doing a solo cast series on Dr. Me First in January? I, I didn't know that. You did did know that. I did know that one. Because we did talk about a few of the topics. So one of the topics that I'm going to do is different types of burnout and note so that people can kind of understand like characteristically what I call the slow burn versus the explosion versus the like simmering bubbling over pot. Um, So I'm going to break that down. I'm going to tell more of my story. And this this episode is going to be entitled How Burnout Broke My Belief System. And talk about some deeply rooted belief systems that totally crumbled in my time of burnout. And through that crumble and deconstruction, 
what has built back since. So I'm excited to share that. But it is where I kind of lost my faith in God. And so it's going to be a little bit of an emotional like yeah, podcast yeah. episode. But I think it's important to talk to my viewers about it and how how Burned Out really, really broke that part of, of my life up. And then also talk about the difference between hustle culture and aspiring to your goals. So a couple episodes ago, I talked about the hamster wheel and I got a lot of uh, feedback. Mm-hmm. Some people sent me some messages, emails. And so it's actually a topic that I'm like, all right, we need to dig a little bit more into that. So there you go. So you did know some things. I did know some. Christmas Day, though, I'm going to learn a lot more. That's right. <laughs> all right. Last and final segment, unless you got something else, I was going to do married to the alpha female tips. Go ahead. I think the tips are, I'm ready for them. You're ready? Okay. So recently I was walking in the park. My best friend, Jill Shear, Dr. Jill Shear, and I try to meet at least once a month um, just to catch up and talk. And we walk at the same time in this really awesome park in Vincennes, Indiana. And she was talking about she just finished CBT training. So cognitive behavioral therapy training is the thing that we are always trying to get our patients to do to modify their thought patterns. Coaching is loosely based off of CBT, but she was actually going through the formal training with Dr. David Burns. And we were talking about communication. And so I thought for the Maryton Alpha female tip, I wanted to share the tool that she brought to my attention, which kind of mirrors the one that you and I use with I statements. So Dr. David Burns, he's well-renowned in the CBT world. I want to say CBD. Because oh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if you were renowned in that world, you know. Yeah. No. C-B as in boy, T. Okay. And she brought one of his exercises, tools, worksheet, whatever. It's called the Five Secrets of Effective Communication. And the first three are listening skills. And the second two are self-expression skills. And I thought it was interesting how he broke it down because, you know, you and I got taught I statements way back summer of 2007. Yeah, so. when we did. Yeah, I think so. Pre-marriage counseling. Yes. Yeah. Is it during that? That was a long time ago. That was I really still use my I statements. <laughs> I do too. But anyway, so let me read his and then we'll talk about our I statements because that's what I think is one of the most powerful tips that I think I can give to anyone who is married to an alpha female is the tips of communication. Although when I do get angry, I will occasionally use a you statement. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> it's okay. It's forgiven. Okay. So in his listening skills, number one, the disarming technique, he says, seek and find some truth in what the other person is saying if it seems totally unreasonable or unfair to you. So this is like agreeing with a crazy person. That's what we talk about mm-hmm. when I was doing correctional medicine. Like when when your patient is getting, just agree with them. And it, it's a disarming technique. Okay, number two is empathy. Put yourself in the other person's shoes and try to see the world through their eyes. So feeling the empathy, which is acknowledging how he or she is probably feeling by saying like, so then the clerk told me to go to the end of the aisle and that was about all that I could take with the partner then saying, it sounds like... That you must, that must have made you really mad. So I think that's a good, it sounds like, Mm -hmm. or maybe you might be feeling and trying to iterate maybe how they're feeling is a way to show empathy. And then the other part of empathy is thought empathy. So paraphrasing the other person's word. And I actually do this quite a bit when I'm coaching because I think it is important for people to hear 
So I hear you saying. Yeah, they know that you're listening. Yeah, exactly. Number three in his listening skills is inquiry. And this is ask a gentle probing question to learn more about what the other person is feeling or thinking. And I think this is simply asking, like, what are you thinking about this? Or, you know, tell me what how you're really feeling. Mm-hmm. Or maybe some different questions like that. So number four, then, in the self-expression skills, because it's a, because remember we have two ears to hit listen and one mouth to speak. So using your mouth to speak is the I feel statements. So this is where it parallels what we do with our I statements. Use I feel statements such as I feel upset rather than you statements which say like you're wrong or you're making me furious. So again, like you're is very like pointed, attacking, yeah. aggressive, where I is explaining your experience and your state and no one can take that from you and then his last skill that he says in this effective communication is stroking not really sure i really like that word <laughs> the explicit the explicit approval I yes i guess thank goodness we have an the e rating. on this podcast but stroking find something genuinely positive to say to the other person even in the heat of the battle doing so conveys an attitude of respect even though you may feel very angry with the person at this moment. And I thought, yeah, I have a real hard problem with that. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, you do. So let's talk a little bit about our I statements to help with communication, because I don't know, I find I statements a little bit easier, maybe because we've been using them for 15 plus years. I hear you saying that you feel during the holidays communication with your alpha is very important. Yes, communication always, but especially during the holidays where stress levels stress levels I just get triggered. I get super triggered during the holidays. I think it's the emotional baggage from the past, the inundation of family now, the total batshit craziness of how excited the kids get. Trying to go to this family event and then that family event. And then now add COVID on it. And like, should we even be doing all of this? And then, then the other expectations of kids out of school and like. Trying to do hybrid learning schedules. and Or not do school. And then feeling like, oh, my kids are getting behind all that. So yeah, communication. So the I statements that we typically use are, when I see, hear, imagine, you know, the observation, when I see clothes on the floor, I feel frustrated because I need our home to have a sense of order because when it's out of order, many times internally I'm scrambling. So when I see externalness, Clutteriness, it makes me feel like everything is out of order. Mm-hmm. So that's an example of the I statements. And then you ask, would you be willing to, so not telling the person, but making a request, yes. would you be willing to help me from time to time and get the kids to pick up the stuff? All right. So there you go. Two tif- different techniques to improve your communication with your alpha, because I really think. So many problems just come down to a miscommunication or a lack of communication. <laughs> All right. We had to pause the recording for a little bit because I was bitching at him for breathing in the microphone <laughs> too much. <laughs> We're going to wrap this up, guys. It has been whew, a roller coaster of 2020, but we have made it. We are just so honored and blessed and thrilled to have you listening and have you along on this journey. 
We hope that these Maryton Alpha Female episodes at least bring a little joy and laughter into your life. And we just want to wish you so much a wonderful 2021. Thanks for listening, everybody. And don't forget, your life, your calling, your pulse matters. see what it's like to hang out in a group with me, to catch me live, in person, and around all the other amazing women who listen to this podcast? Well, I want to invite you to our monthly free, totally free, masterclass that happens the last Sunday of every single month at 2 p.m. Eastern time. That's right. So much fun, so much collective goodness all in one place. We're still doing the Be Happy Now series. And so I break down a topic each month that will help propel you into living a life where you can be freaking happy now. So if interested, jump on the website, burntouttobadass.com and sign up for this next month's masterclass. I can't wait to see you there. 